Um, so we are in 2 Corinthians this morning. We're carrying on and we're in the second chapter. And so we're going to work through that uh, second chapter this morning. But before I get into it, I want to show you, uh, let's get this thing going. Uh, this photo here, maybe you can just sort of just see that. But that is a beautiful stretch of beach uh, up in Northland in a place called Ahopi. And I uh, went there on a family holiday recently. And uh, it's just a wonderful place, I can recommend it. But I was going for a walk one day by myself and walked along. And this, this little bit here is right at the end of the beach. There's a narrow entrance to the harbour uh, where I've got this sort of, <coughs> some, maybe it's copyright image there, but um, courtesy to Getty Images. Thank you, Getty Images. But uh, So there I am standing there and I'm looking at the entrance to the harbour and it's actually quite a, a rough little stretch of water, like if you're a nautical kind of person, that, you know, it looks like the tide's coming in and out in both directions at the same time, there's sandbars and the waves are crashing in, and uh, for such a beautiful beach, it was quite a rough little spot actually, you can kind of see where the boats would have come in and out there. And as I was walking uh, along, God spoke to me very clearly about the need to carefully navigate troubled waters. And if you were just to jump in a boat and just plow straight through that uh, section of water, it's likely that you'd probably end up in very real danger, perhaps like this boat here. Uh, very real danger of capsizing and, and getting shipwrecked. Or maybe a more recent example, uh, <coughs> this one here. Which, thankfully, this morning, we, uh, we got two up, you know, which... According to their sneaky rules, we're only one up, but we'll figure that out later. Don't celebrate too early, is all I can say. Um, but, but yeah, so they you know, weren't paying attention to the kind of conditions, and they ploughed straight through and capsized. So get back there before you get too distracted. But God spoke to me very carefully about navigating troubled waters. You see, at the time, uh, I had been guilty of tackling a relational situation in my life uh, head on. And uh, all it did at the time was just make matters worse uh, and ended up causing more grief than, than love uh, and joy. And, uh, and I'm just learning these things as I, as I grow. But as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, I see Paul is very much actually in the same predicament. It's a very fragile and tense relationship with the Corinthian church. And if he doesn't carefully navigate these waters, uh, that, that could be where both himself and the church uh, end up uh, on the rocks. If you'll recall, uh, he writes the, the first letter to the Corinthian church to try and sort out a few uh, issues in the church, some majors, and he sends this letter, uh, but the problem is it doesn't get received very well. In fact, many people in the church are completely rejecting Paul's authority. And so after he hears this, he makes an emergency visit to try and sort the situation out, to try and fix this. And that also doesn't go uh, very well uh, at all. And in the Bible, it says that he talks about as a very painful visit. And so here's Paul just trying to very carefully navigate the situation. And after that, he writes another letter, which is known as the letter of tears, which is kind of in between First and Second Corinthians. But we don't have it, uh, but it's very key in, in the story. And so he writes this letter, and he sends it with a guy called Titus. And somehow this letter has a deep impact uh, on the church, and the relational tide begins to turn between Paul and the Corinthian church, as, a sort of, as Paul sort of masterfully steers through these waters. Uh, 
something that added a bit of tension that we need to understand is that he had promised to make them a visit. And when he didn't turn up, but Titus turned up with a letter, you can imagine that created even more, uh, even more tension. So Paul uh, begins this chapter by explaining his reasonings why he, didn't, uh, why he didn't make this visit to them. And he explains to them, or hopes to show them, that's because actually he loves them dearly. They're like his children to him. And he is just carefully navigating and protecting them in their relationship. So he writes things like, I decided I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. For if I cause you grief, who will make me glad? Uh, later on, he says, I, I wrote that letter in great anguish, with a troubled heart and many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted to let you know how much love I have for you. Now, this is the caliber of this guy who values relationships and values connections with people and wants to keep them healthy and maintain them and not just plow a boat straight across the sandbank. That's how he's very carefully, uh, you know, carefully handling the situation. And uh, I think that that's something that we can really learn and be encouraged. And I'm, I know in my own life, in terms of protecting connection and relationship, is very important. So he writes this letter to them to try and, and reconnect with them. And he says, I wrote this letter in great anguish. And so it got me wondering, well, what was the source of Paul's anguish? What really makes this guy tick? So I wondered, well, did he, uh, was he in anguish because he, he was sad, he had his feelings hurt, you know, he was licking his wounds. Is that why, is that, was that the source of his anguish? But I don't think that it was, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it's actually a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Uh, in fact, any human court, I don't even judge myself, it's the Lord who judges me. So I think Paul had some pretty thick skin, so I don't think that was the source of his anguish. Was he in anguish because of this ongoing conflict and he was getting a bit wary of addressing it time and time again. You know those situations you have in your life where you know that sometimes it's easy just to not confront them uh, because if you do, it's just gonna create a big drama. So was Paul getting a bit timid and sort of backing away and was that why he was in anguish? Well, I don't think that was the reason either actually. If you read Acts, you see he's a very bold character. He, in Acts, he, he rebukes the Apostle Peter, you know, the leader of the 12 apostles, he rebukes him because he sees him step out of line and stop eating with Gentile believers. And, uh, and that's in front of everyone. That would have taken a pretty uh, bold and courageous man. And, and Jesus said, hey, this man, Paul, he is to stand before kings. That's his calling. So I don't think Paul was, uh, was a wimp in that sense. I think that he was in anguish as he wrote this letter because he so valued the connection and the relationship uh, with the Corinthian church, that when he saw that being at risk of being cut off, it absolutely tore him in two. So Paul's anguish was out of uh, this, this risk of the relationship being broke off, broken off. And Paul loved them so much. He, he, he adored them as his children. And it broke his heart to think that, that, would be, uh, that he'd be separated from them in that way. But also, because he had such a concern for them, he realized his anguish came from, that if, if, it, if this ended up on the rocks, if this didn't play out how it needed to, they were cutting themselves off from the very gifting and fathering that they so desperately needed at that time uh, as a church. And that brought him anguish too. Not just that he would be cut off, but they would suffer as a result. It was a very real risk that things were going to end up shipwrecked. Because Paul, in his apostolic gifting, 
had some input for the church and wanted to build them up. But they saw Paul, and all they saw was his weaknesses, they saw his suffering, they saw just him generally being unimpressive, and they chose not to acknowledge God's grace on this man and how he was going to bless them. Now, as I'm reading this chapter and I'm preparing for it, I had some time with God and I was just praying, God, I want to get to the heart of this passage. What's it all about? I don't just want to share a history lesson this morning. I want to grapple with some truth that will really bring transformation in my own life and also in the life of the church. And he, he highlighted, as I was praying this, he highlighted a situation in my life where I had taken offense at something and as a result was withholding a forgiveness in my life. And he highlighted to me that the root cause of this was a lack of honor. He said to me, you lack honor in your life towards this person and that needs to change. You want to understand this passage? You want to understand what it's all about? Well, this is where it begins. And he, re he reminded me of a story actually of Numbers chapter 12. You might be familiar with it of Moses and his siblings. We all know some of the best rows in our life are often in-house and family, aren't they? Uh, and so there's Moses, and he's got his sister Miriam and his brother Aaron. And they start to criticize uh, Moses over some choices that he's making. And they start to say things like, hey, who is this guy anyway? You know, like, we hear from God. Uh, why do we need him? And they, they start to dishonor uh, Moses and choose not to say about him what God says about him. And it uh, reminds you of that saying that Jesus said that a prophet is not honored amongst his family. You know, Honor is most difficult when things are more, most familiar. And then God, who we know is slow to anger, gets angry at Miriam and angry at Aaron and basically says to them, you need to start seeing Moses as I see him, otherwise you'll find yourself in direct opposition with me. And as Miriam finds out, that's really not a good place uh, to be, right? To be in opposition with God. And the issue was honor. The issue was honor in that story. The issue was honor in my life and this issue that God had highlighted. The issue in this chapter in Corinthians is honor. To honor someone is to evaluate, evaluate a person's worth as God does and treat them as God does. To align our thinking with how he sees them and let, letting that be our thinking in the way that we see them. As Bill Johnson uh, says, I cannot afford to have one thought in my mind that is not in his. That's at the heart of honor. Now, honor is actually not a new concept in our church. It's long been uh, part of our five cultural words. And uh, these are on our website. They're on the back there. We've done preaching series on them before. And these five cultural words are important to us because they define uh, who we want to be along a journey. What kind of people do we want to be? It, they don't so much describe the what, you know, what that journey looks like, but it's, it's, it's what kind of people we want to be along that way. We want to be a people who honor one another, who are generous, who are authentic and courageous and so on. Uh, we don't want to get to a destination and find out that we're full of bitterness and unforgiveness and all these sorts of things. What matters is who we are along the way. God is so concerned. You guys ever been touched by the scriptures? God speaks to you powerfully. Most of the time it's about a character issue, isn't it? Not that you're doing something wrong. We, we approach God and say, what about this? What about this? And he highlights a heart issue and we go, oh God, you know? It's because he's interested in, in, in who we are along the way. And that's what these culture words are, are aiming to address. 
And so this is the kind of culture that we want to see uh, amongst us. And the Holy Spirit clearly said to me, unless I understand this, unless I see this chapter through the lens of honor, you won't get it. So normally I love to get up here and do like an expositional type approach, but this morning I felt prophetically to give us a lens to see this uh, chapter through which you might go and exposition it yourself. But um, so I did what I did do best. I, I, I bought a book <laughs> and I half read it, uh, which is what I also do best. But it is a good book. I'm halfway through it. I will finish it. Uh, and it's a book called The Culture of Honor by Danny Silk. And it is it's a brilliant book. And you might have read it. You might be familiar with it. If you haven't, get it, read it. If you have read it, read it again. It's just, I, I'm finding it really upbuilding. And in that book, he states that the principle of honor states that accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to both give and receive. To give people what they deserve, the honor, the love, the respect, the forgiveness, and so on, but also to receive, to receive the gift of who they are in our life, their blessing, their wisdom, their input, uh, their love and affection, and so on. So you can see that honor is a really important factor in the Christian community if it's to function healthily. And so going back, to, uh, going back to our passage, 2 Corinthians, if you've got that in front of you. The, uh, the ultimate issue was an issue of honor, or more accurately, a lack of honor. And this honor-lacking environment in the 2 Corinthian church manifested itself in two major ways. And I want to look at both of these ways this morning and see how a culture of honor deals with each. So first is this issue of unforgiveness, and the second is a lack of gifting. What I mean by that is a lack of acknowledging gifting, nurturing gifting, accepting gifting, and seeing it bless the church. So first of all, let's look at uh, forgiveness of sin in a culture of honor. Paul says, if anyone has caused pain, he's caused it more than anything to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn and forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. We would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. It's talking about a man here, and this man, this one character, he's caused a lot of grief in the Corinthian church. He's caused a lot of trouble. He's, he's the source of a lot of what's going on. And some people think that he's the man in sin that 1 Corinthians talks about, the guy who basically ran off with his you know, stepmom, so, you know, horrible situation. Some people think that that's the guy that it's talking to, and, and it could well be. We don't actually know. But it's also very likely that it could have been a prominent member uh, in the Corinthian church who stirred up this uh, angst against Paul that got a lot of people on board and caused the real separation and relationship with Paul. So that when he made this visit, this painful visit, this guy and a bunch of people following him were causing a lot of the heartache and their rejection and judgment of Paul. It's also very likely that it was uh, a very, uh, someone in the church more like that. More, even if, it might have even been like a very uh, prominent leader in the church. And, uh, and Paul confronting Paul confronted that situation. But as the Corinthians started, you know, had a, had a change of heart, the Corinthians are trying to deal with this situation, the sin and the breakdown that happened in the church. But the problem was, the Corinthians tried to deal with that sin and that breakdown in the relationship in a very, uh, in a very worldly way. They weren't embracing this person in a culture of honor. They were punishing him, withholding forgiveness, withholding love from the person, 
to the point that Paul has to step in and go, basically say, hey guys, enough is enough. Now is the time to forgive. Now is the time to embrace this man. Now is this time to show this man love and honor. He goes so far to say that if you continue in this way, it will lead to excessive sorrow and it will lead us being outwitted, it will result in us being outwitted by Satan and, uh, and, and basically partnering with him to destroy these key relationships. Jesus taught us what? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That you may be sons of your Father. In other words, it's in our family identity. It's in our identity as sons and daughters uh, of our Father that we are to love and forgive to the point we even extend that to our enemies. Not to withhold and try and punish people when there's sin in our lives. Our job is not to punish somebody uh, when they sin against us, but to show them the same love and forgiveness that Jesus uh, showed them in the cross. You see, honor empowers us to forgive because what we are doing is accurately acknowledging who a person is and then choosing them to see them as God does. Uh, again, another quote from Danny Silk. In a culture of honor, we lead by courageously treating people according to the names God has given them and not according to the aliases they receive from people, according to the names that God has given them. Do you know what names God has given you as a believer? Son, daughter, holy and blameless, spotless in his sight. <laughs> it's the names that he has given you. Dearly loved, you know, adopted son and daughter. You know, all these names that he has given you we are to treat ourselves and treat others with these names. I was thinking as we were praying, you know, the brilliant, beautiful song that Sam was singing this morning, how powerful the name, you know, how, the, how does it go, Sam, you know, how wonderful the name of uh, Jesus is. It got me thinking, well, you know, you, you, the, the Queen's birthday uh, honours list, you know, people get knighted. They get given a name by a greater name, don't they? So there is now Sir, I mean, who can rattle off one of the new Sirs? Who was it? Anybody? Sir John Key, right? So now he is Sir John Key. He gets given a name, and he gets, he gets in, you know, endowed that name by a greater name, doesn't he? And who's that name? The Queen, right? Which maybe some people would say is not so great. But, like, you know, we are at the edge of the empire. We still sort of hold on to that a little bit. Uh, but let me tell you this. If God's given you a name, he has given you that name, and he has the greatest name of all. So there is no other name <laughs> that's greater than his, and he has endowed you with these things. So there's nobody else in all of creation who can give you another name other than what God has given you because his name is highest above all. There is no power, there is no name that's higher than his. So what he says about you, you better believe, because if you don't, you're agreeing with the enemy, and he's trying to accuse you and give you different sorts of names. He's trying to give you aliases. So when God says, holy and blameless, you better believe it. If he says, spotless child of God, you better believe it because his name, he is the one who has endowed you with that name. Uh, and to believe anything less than that is to believe a lie and partner with Satan. So isn't that just an encouragement to, uh, in there? I just, as a side note, as we were worshiping away. To me, it comes back to grace. I mean, in my own life, I, I hear these names and I'm like, wow, God, I don't deserve these names but it's by your grace that I receive them. And then the question is, am I willing to extend that grace to other people 
and realize that's the same thing that God says about them too, and then letting that transform my relationships with them and my dealings with them on a person-to-person level. When we realize that the person sitting next to you right now is also endowed with those same wonderful names that God has given them. That is at the heart of honor, realizing what God says about other people and then choosing to treat them in the same way. And so when we do that, forgiveness becomes the norm. So next thing I want to touch on here is uh, gifting in a culture of honor. Now, you kind of have to read between the lines in this passage to, to unpack gifting, but I felt prophetically to bring it because as Steve prophesied this morning, we are at a new, there's, there's new fresh work happening. And I really feel that God is unlocking up for us a new season and to, and to really contain that and run with it and, and, and pour that out in the community. Uh, gifting is, is so important for the healthy operating of the church. Because Paul says the church is like a body, arms and legs and arms, you know, all these different parts. And if, if God gives you a great calling to run in a race and you're missing one leg, you know, you're kind of going to struggle a little bit. Or if you're called to play sport and you're missing one eye, you know, your depth gauge isn't going to be so good. So we need the full body operating in order to run in the gifting that God has for us. So I feel it's a timely word that I want to encourage us this morning that the culture of honor is critical of where they see these gifts emerge and grow and be strengthened in our church. It was timely for us. And it's just this one phrase here that jumps out to me because Paul finds himself defending his gifting and his an apostleship to the Corinthian church. He says, look, we are not peddlers of God's word. We are men of sincerity. We are commissioned by God. Paul felt that he was commissioned by God. In fact, when they read the letter, they, they, you know, the email arrives, boom, uh, to the Corinthian church uh, uh, from Paul, an apostle in Christ Jesus. As soon as they read that line, there would have been a stack of people in the church who really irked at that because they didn't feel that Paul was legitimately an apostle. They didn't, they didn't recognize that gifting on his life, and as a result, the church suffered for it. The underlying issue in the Corinthian church is that they would not honor Paul as their apostle and of the gifting that he had in his life. You see, they refused to treat him according to the name that God had given him, and instead, they decided to treat him according to the aliases that he had received from other people like weak, crafty, unimpressive. Those were the names that Paul was being uh, endowed with by people around him. And they chose to partner with that rather than what God said about Paul, which was an apostle to the nations. You see, they rejected God's gifting to them because of the packaging. And so Paul, in this very letter, has to say to them, yeah, on the outside, we don't look like anything impressive. We're like jars of clay. You know, we're just very ordinary on the outside. But inside, we house a great treasure, and we are being used powerfully by God. But the Corinthians had a hard time accepting the cultural packaging that Paul came in. And in a way, you can't really blame them, because there was this guy, Apollos, and he was from Alexandria, and he was a very eloquent speaker, and he was from the center of intellectualism at that day with one of the biggest libraries in the world that you can still you know, watch on History Channel. There's this guy, Apollos. And, and to, to the Corinthian church, they just clicked with Apollos. He spent some time there. And culturally, you know, they just meshed. They understood each other. They, they got on well together. They, you know, they, they just sort of, it was like someone coming in the door and 
just saying, kia ora bro, and it's like, oh, you just understand straight away, you connect with them culturally. But then there's Paul, and he's a bit rough in his presentation. I mean, this guy, get this right, he literally bored someone to death when one night he spoke so long his poor kid fell out the window and died. Imagine having that on your resume as a, as a public speaker. I once bored someone to death. Hopefully I'm not boring anyone to death today because I'm bring, bringing scriptural truth that if you embrace in your life will transform you. But the difference with Paul is that he went downstairs, prayed for the man, raised him up to life, and then carried on his, 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 uh, his little talk. Yeah? And that kind of, that's Paul in a nutshell, isn't it? Kind of boring, kind of unimpressive on the outside, but wow, this guy's gifted by God and he's being used powerfully, and if they could just recognize that, they would receive the gifting that God had placed in him. But they had to see through the cultural packaging. And I want to suggest this morning that honoring gifting in those of a different cultural packaging to what you and me are used to will be critical to seeing a full and healthy scope uh, of gifting emerge in this church. And, and, and full and healthy scope of us serving the community and outpouring what we know God has implanted in us. Simply if we are willing to embrace and honour people who have the gifting but look a little bit differently or approach things a little bit differently than the way that you would normally do so. You see, in this nation and in this community, we are a very diverse nation, aren't we? I and mean, even the foundations of this nation are, are, are a bicultural society. And now we are a, you know, many cultural society. And, uh, and if we are to truly reflect the community around us and truly serve them, we will, we, it will be required of us to really bring into the centre and honour those of a different gifting, uh, no matter what the cultural packaging. Yeah. It's not just that we accept them in the back, no, we bring them right into the heart. And, 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 and Because that was a challenge with the Corinthians, and that, in a way, could also be the challenge yeah. for us. I want to talk about gifts a bit more broader now, about the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is part of it. There are some parts that God has appointed for the church, you know, for the building up of the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracle workers, gifts of healing, helps in administration, leadership, gifts of tongues, and so on and so on and so on. And he, says, he basically says, are all people gifted with all of these things? No, but earnestly desire these gifts amongst you. I just felt prophetically as a church, as I was preparing this word, that God would say, King's Church, it's time to honor these gifts into existence. Yes, they are gifts, so you can't earn them, but I am not a stingy giver. They are all available. The fact that they are a gift from me does not excuse the absence of any of them in your church because they are freely on offer. But they cannot be identified, nurtured, strengthened, accepted without the body showing honor. It's time to see that to eagerly desire these gifts amongst you is just as true corporately in community than it is about you, know, you and your walk with God, about what your gifting is. So you might not have you know, the gift of prophecy, but we eagerly desire it 
amongst us as a community, and we do that by honouring one another. It was so neat working, working together down at the market yesterday. There are people of very different giftings, but as a team, we were blessing the community. And in all our different ways, in all our different giftings, we were serving and loving the community. So as a community, as a church, we could say that in all these different ways, we were blessing uh, the community. But we weren't getting hung up by the fact that one guy wasn't seeing people healed and one guy wasn't prophesying, but the other person was. No, no, we were uh, working together as a body. Just want to finish this section now by a quick uh, excerpt from this culture of honour by Danny Silk. And I apologise for making so many quotes, but it's just really feeding me, so hopefully it's feeding you too. I have seen firsthand how these diverse anointings each address an essential part of the identity and purpose of the church through their specific areas of focus and motivation. Without a complete mature expression of these graces that equip the saints, the people of God cannot be adequately prepared to contain what God is pouring out and release it to the world around them. The anointing of the apostle and prophet creates a perspective that is primarily focused on perceiving what is going on in heaven and bringing that to earth. The teacher is focused on being able to describe everything that happened accurately and not boring people to death. I inserted that a little bit there. Uh, the evangelist and pastor are focused on the people. Now, I think everyone should be focused on the people, but there's a specific calling there. The cooperation between all the ministry gifts is the only way to accomplish the primary objective of the church. We must cooperate with the Holy Spirit in carefully and intentionally assembling this pipework that funnels heaven and all its power and freedom to the earth. Honour is the hardware that bolts all this plumbing together. And the funnel is not, you know, formal organisational structure, but is actually a network of relationships. And only acts of honour can establish and sustain these relationships. I think it's a beautiful uh, challenge and, and you know, provocation there to really see the full expression of all these gifts in our church. And, you know, like, I've been around for a huge amount of time uh, in church circles, but the more that I read about churches doing well or churches being challenged, uh, the more I'm convinced that the answer or the, or the reason for their success, or, the, you know, the answer to the challenges or the reason to the success is this full scope of, of gifting emerge as a church, that the full expression would be uh, revealed. You know, there might be a church over here and they're lacking a certain something, and so you can see what the impact that's having on the church. And over here, it's the opposite, and they're challenging with different things. But as we, uh, you know, more and more work together as a team, equally uh, across the board in all these gifts, I'm convinced uh, that's, that's God's plan for his church. So just to begin to wrap up now, time is is going, it's through this principle of honour and honouring one another that we will first maintain healthy relationships in our life, in the church, in our family, in our workplaces, because we want to be free from our unforgiveness and bitterness. It's also through honour that we will see a healthy church with the full scope of all the gifting that God uh, has intended. But again, one last quote, I promise. Uh, <clears throat> Like most things in the Christian life, honour is not an idea, but a practice. A practice of giving. Believers with this mindset don't practice random acts of kindness. They embrace the lifestyle of benefactors. And they find a worthy cause, a place to show honour. And this, after all, is what the cross teaches us to see in people. 
It's not just an idea, but it is a practice. Now, whilst I agree with that, I also read Romans 12, which says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by the renewing of your mind. So what he's saying is your behaviors, your actions, you know, the doing stuff, is only a byproduct of what's going on up in here and what's going on inside here. And if you just try and tack on acts of honor or acts of kindness without dealing with the stuff in here and without you know, aligning your thinking with the right way of thinking in God's kingdom, then, then it won't be sustainable. It will just be something that you'll try and do and you'll try and do and you'll burn out and you'll have the wrong motives and you'll probably get bitter and un, you know, forgiving and all the things and you'll probably become just as much a part of the problem as the solution. And so what I want to encourage you this morning is, uh, with is, is be transformed by the way you think and deal with these heart issues so that you might uh, move more and more into this culture of honor. Because I've felt more and more challenged in my life that if I'm to see a culture of honor in this church, it starts with me. I've got to take responsibility for me and I've got to, you know, I can't complain about what's not happening around here if it's not happening in here. And so I want to invite you this morning to ask the Holy Spirit to identify areas in your life that aren't in line with him up here or aren't in line with him in here and ask God to do a work with you so that when you go out there, you're doing these acts uh, with all of God's strength uh, and you're not just trying to do these things on your own. So I'm just going to invite you to stand and I'm just going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit here to begin to... Uh, identify some of these areas in our life that would hinder us from acting in honor. Hmm. Jesus, I thank you that when we align our thinking with you and what you say about us, it transforms our hearts, it transforms our minds, it transforms our dealings with people when we encounter you, Lord. And we just want to invite you in this morning and say, Holy Spirit, you are so welcome here. Come and be our teacher. Come and be our advocate. Come and right beside us and support us. And Lord, highlight areas in our lives that you would want to deal with, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that your gift of salvation is a free gift we can't earn it it is completely beside my merit it is all from you and lord i pray for anyone that has that blockage in their life that thinks that they can earn it or somehow attain things with you lord i pray that you would deal with that in their heart this morning lord i thank you that you have honored us with adoption we are your sons we are your daughters you have given us new names holy and blameless, spotless, child, daughter, heir. Lord, I pray for anyone who struggles with that in their heart and mind, that, Lord, you would bring freedom in that area in their life. Lord, I thank you that all people on this planet are made in your image, whether they're in your family or not. And so I thank you, Lord, that you call us to honor all people regardless because you are a merciful God. And you, make, you bless the righteous and the unrighteous. And I pray for any of us here who struggle with that, Lord, that you would bring freedom and help us to align our thinking with you of what you see in people. And so, Lord, we just commit ourselves to you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, because ultimately these things 
a fruit of your work in our life, not just our self-help effort, self-help efforts. And so we invite you in, Lord. Come and convict us in all the right ways, Lord. Come and teach us the right way. Come and show us Christ's love. We want to be responsive to you, Jesus.